Listen, how great was that? How great is God? How great is that worship set, man? There's joy in the house uh, of the Lord. Uh, the rock of ages, man. We, we need him. We need him so bad. And then how great is our God? These are, these are incredible truths. This is an incredible passage that we're in today. I, I am... I am stoked. Can I say stoked? I am stoked. I'm excited to be preaching this. This has got to be one of the top five best uh, verses, best passages in Scripture, I think. I don't know how you evaluate that. It's all words of God, but I'm going to be in verses four and five. Um, that's in the middle of what, what Stephanie just read. And I'm going to apologize. I'm going to tell a little bit about myself. I'm going to tell my story. And I've told my story a couple of times in the 29 times that I've been up here in the last year or whatever it's been. But I've just told certain aspects of it. But I, I know the story, so it's good. It's easy. And this is personal for me. Like this, this passage that we're going through, the gospel that we believe, it's personal. I, like I feel it. I, I have experienced it. And so... This, my story, I think, will help illustrate some of these, some of these points that, that we're going to try to make today. So I grew up uh, in a, uh, a church family, you could say. My dad was a pastor. He started a church in the Florida Keys. He pastored there for like 20-some years. And then we came out to Salem because he was going to pastor at um, Salem First Baptist. And he did, like in 1989 or something, for a couple of years and then he moved on from Salem First Baptist and started uh, Dayspring Fellowship in Kaiser, if you know that church in Kaiser, and had some success. And we were all a part of the church, and, you know, I don't know that everything was great in our, in our family, um, but one day my dad sat me down and said, Tim, uh, I've been unfaithful to your mom, like, dropped a bomb in my life, in all of our lives. I have three older brothers. And my world was turned upside down, like in an instant, right? Dad was the hero, which was not great, but dad looked like the hero. And now, like, like my understanding of who God was, my understanding of what church was, what the gospel was, was completely flipped on its head. And at, I think I was 15. At 15, I was left to make some decisions, you know, for my life. Where, do you, where does a kid go from there? What do you think about all the things that you're... you're parents just crammed down your throat for the last 15 years. What am I, I going to do with this? And so in my infinite wisdom at the age of 15, uh, I said, to heck with it. It's, it's a joke. The gospel's a joke. The, pe the very people that have been telling me the gospel can't do it themselves. Why would I even continue down this road? I will determine what's right and wrong for my life. I will make the decisions for the future. Life Life was, was terrible, My, life was just turned upside down, but I will make the decisions going forward. I, I will determine what's good and what's bad in the future for my life. So as you might have guessed, that didn't work out great at 15. Fast forward nine years and I was a wreck. In 2005, I was feeling relatively uh, depressed and crushed and guilty and I felt shame and um, just didn't know what to do with my life. I had looked back nine years and I thought, what a waste of a life. I don't have a single good thing to point to. 
Okay? My sin was ever before me, but God. That's key. (laughs) But God saw fit to make me a believer. Okay? But God revealed himself through the scriptures in my life, through Psalm 51. But God brought people into my life, my brother, my sister-in-law, a bunch of other, a bunch of other people through church services and different things revealed my sinful nature and how great God was, okay? But God, by grace, saved me. Seems like the ending to the story. You think, yay. But you fast forward five more years, okay? I'm 30, and a guy that I used to hang out with in, in uh, you know, growing up, a guy named Patrick, who I loved, said, hey, Tim, I haven't seen you around lately. I, I, had, I had been saved by the grace of God, and then I kind of checked out from the old crowd and, and started doing some, some different things. Where you been? What have you been up to? Like, what's up? And I said, you know, Patrick, things weren't going right in my life. I had a lot of regrets growing up. I wasn't doing the right thing. My life was headed the wrong direction, but I decided to go a different direction. But I decided to pick myself up from my bootstraps and, and, and go a, a, a better direction. I wanted, I wanted something different from my life. I totally took credit for it, and Patrick in that conversation goes, man, He's just like one of those truth tellers. Do you have any friends like this that will just tell you the truth? He goes, you sound like a real arrogant jerk. And I was like, oh, man, that stung a little bit. And it stung because it was true. I was talking about how great I was. And I wasn't, I had forgotten. I had kind of rejected the idea, but God saved me. And I had inserted the, but I, into my life. Taking credit for, for any good that had, that had come in my life. In my story, there's two examples, okay? There's two worldviews. There's a liberal worldview and a conservative worldview that we still see today. The liberal worldview is that we determine right and wrong for our lives. No one dictates what's right and wrong for me. I determine that. I'm my own moral compass. I will determine what is good and what is evil, okay? Good and evil is, is fluid, I think is the term we're using now, right? Like, like we, we just, we, whatever you say goes. It's subjective. This is the liberal worldview that we uh, are seeing today. Pro- one problem with the liberal worldview is it doesn't hold up to its own weight. The liberal worldview says there is no right and wrong, but then if you disagree with the liberal worldview, what happens? You're banned from the YMCA. What? <laughs> Did you guys hear this news story? Somebody was uncomfortable in the, in the bathroom of the YMCA. This is in Washington, not, not locally. Because there was a man dressed as a woman helping some girls get undressed. I guess she was uncomfortable. She told management. And she was banned from the YMCA because she complained about this situation. And I don't know what the character of this person was. She may have been crazy. But the, the premise holds true. There is no right and wrong says the liberal worldview, unless you disagree with them, then you're wrong. You determine what's right and wrong. It's but I. Do you see that? It's but I am Lord and Savior of my life. So that's, so that's one way. That's, that's one thing I did as a kid. 
inserted but I into my life in kind of a liberal worldview kind of a way. But then there's the conservative. There's the traditional worldview. What does the traditional worldview say? It says there is right and wrong. It's not fluid. It's concrete. There is right and wrong. We can point to it. Uh, there is morality and immorality. But what is often the case with the conservative worldview is you look back on your life and you say, I was immoral, but now I'm right. I was wrong, but I changed the direction of my life. But I started making some better decisions. And you see how that also elevates the self, elevates yourself to Lord and Savior status? Both the liberal worldview and the conservative worldview inserts but I and rejects but God in their life. This is the height of sin to consider yourself, either the, the, the moral compass in your life or yourself as right. I used to be wrong, now I'm right. This is the height of sin. It's, it's, it's the idea that we talked about a little bit last week. This is self-dependence, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. This is the height of sin, and we need a different worldview. We're not here to endorse the liberal worldview. We're not here to endorse the Christian worldview. I'm sorry, we are here to endorse the Christian worldview. The conservative worldview, it's the Christian worldview. Yes, we're, we're going to be Christians today. How about that? The Christian worldview can be summed up in, in the two words that we heard in verse 4. But God, there is a right and wrong. It's written for us. It's not mob rule. The mob doesn't get to determine what's right and wrong. Society doesn't get to determine what's right and wrong. God gave it to us in Scripture. What is right and what is wrong? And it turns out we are wrong. <laughs> we are sinful. But God is righteous. We have a sinful nature. If you were here last week, you heard us talk about our, our sinful nature. We're not born good and then go bad. We're not born with a clean slate and then uh, we are influenced evil. We are born evil. And it is by grace that we are saved from that. You've got to get this. You've got to understand the weight of your sin. If you don't understand the weight of your sin, you won't understand that but God removes the weight of your sin. You've got to understand the depth of your depravity so you can understand the height of grace. We are not half dead in need of a, in need of a rescue. You know, we don't, just don't need to have the goodness in us stoked a little bit through some Christian values, some moral teaching, some, some new ethics. We could preach Christian values to you all day, every day, but it would do no good unless we preach but God. We've got to see the depth of our depravity. We've got to see that we're not half dead, we're fully dead. And when I think about the contrast of these two things, it made me think of a couple of stories. I used to be in the Coast Guard for, for a few years. And there was a story down in, in Coos Bay where a father and son went out fishing. And their fishing boat capsized on the way out. And I don't know what happened to the father. I think he was ejected and injured off to the side. But the son was trapped inside the, the overturned vessel. And the Coast Guard goes out there. First responders go out there. And it takes them 30 minutes to rescue this kid. He's stuck in the water. He's not breathing. They finally get him out 30 minutes later. 
and they literally breathed life into this kid through CPR. And he miraculously starts breathing and miraculously makes a full recovery, or at least, at least last time I heard, he was making a full recovery. Probably due to the, the cold water, something like that, which preserved his mind, which preserved his body. Some, something, something about that helped him survive this. We are not half dead and need to be breathed into like this story. We are, it is much worse than that. We are more like the Mary B2 story. And I don't know if you heard this story, but this is from 2019. It's crab season. It's January. It's like January 16th, I think, if I remember that right. It's stormy. We're, we're calling all of the crab vessels to come in because the, the storm is going to kick up. And it's the most dangerous place in the, um, in the ocean is, is coming across the bar. Okay, you either stay in the ocean or you get into port, but you don't cross the bar. We close the bar when it gets stormy. So we're telling the fishing boats, either stay out or come in. And we send two Coast Guard boats out there to, to escort them in. So they escort all these boats in, and there's one left. The Mary B2 is taking his sweet time coming in. And I'm not on the boat. I came the next morning, but... Uh, You actually can listen to the radio communications online. They've got them saved. And we're telling this guy, hey, you need to hustle, sir. You need to get inside. You're taking forever. He's doing two or three knots, and he's like a mile away. And this is like midnight. And so we're telling him, get into shore. And he communicates back and says, I know. I'm working on it. Give me a second or something. He's flustered. He's, He's confused. And he finally comes in. And, the, and if you're familiar with Newport, you got two jetties that stick out of, the, of, the, of Yaquina Bay, okay? And the ideal place to come in is right in between the jetties because we dredge in the center channel. It's the safest. But he comes down the side right at the jetty. He comes down right at the jetty and stops right in front of the, of the rock jetty there. The worst possible spot you can stop your boat is right next to some rocks during a storm in the ocean. So we holler at the guy, get over here, get to the center channel. We send one boat in front of him. I'll go this way. The waves are coming this way. He's sitting here and the jetty's here. Waves are coming this way. We've got the 52-foot motor life boat, this awesome boat. It's like a tugboat. We're breaking waves so that they split, so they don't crash on top of this guy and send him into the rocks. And we've got another boat in the center channel with the blue lights on. And we're just telling this guy, follow the blue lights. Like we couldn't make this any any easier for this guy. But he just sits there and he sits there just long enough for the next set of waves to to come through. And the next wave picks him up, gets him a little closer to the jetty. And then the wave after that, from the description of the guys that I worked with, picked him up, turned him over. And he, he had lights on his boat. Picked him up turned him over and tossed him right on top of the jetty, upside down. Like, water comes down. They said there was a boat, there were lights. Lights went out, the water crashed on the jetty, and there was nothing. No boat. It was as if it got completely obliterated. No evidence that there was ever a boat there. And all three guys died. We are not half dead in need of a rescue. We're not even in danger of being, of being shipwrecked. We have been tossed on the rocks of our own self-righteousness, our own self-reliance, our own self-dependence, our own self-sufficiency. You've got to see that. You've got to understand that. 
Psalm 36, 1 and 2, uh, from the NIV, because it sounds a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more understandable, says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. We flatter ourselves. We think it's not that bad. We think we're mostly good, and it's far worse than that. We have no fear of God. But, do you know what the word but does? It opposes the previous statement. But, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this is a blessed but, a glorious but. I can't look at anybody, you know, that'd be awkward. He said this in, this in this sermon in the 50s, and it didn't sound like he even cracked a smile. Like, it's kind of funny, Martin. But we need to oppose the previous three verses that we read last week. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you remember this? We follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are by nature children of wrath. But God, not a random God, not a weird and awkward God that somebody made up, the creator, the designer, the, the provider, the healer, the purveyor of life, but God, who was rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved me, even when I was dead in my trespasses, made me alive together with Christ. It's by grace that I've been saved. It's by grace that you have been saved. Do you believe that? Do you have a but God story in your life? You have to if you call yourself a Christian. You must have a but God story. This great reversal where, where something changed. Maybe you didn't have some great moral failure, but your understanding of your, of your righteousness and your sinfulness became clear. You must have a but God story. And if you don't, I can hook you up. I've got this new, uh, this new idea. New and improved strategy, right? Isn't that what we all want now? I got this new hack, you know, to help you get a but God story. Fancy name. It's uh, C and R. Doesn't that sound kind of flashy, kind of hip? C and R. Confession and repentance. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty great. Pretty new and improved, right? Confession. The idea of acknowledging the sin in your life. Where do we input but I in our lives? Where do we claim self-reliance, self-dependence, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness? How, how does this work out in your life? Where are we following the world, the flesh, and the devil? Where are we being lured by our sinful nature into be gratifying the desires of our flesh? Following the, the, uh, uh, the world the secular, God, uh, God, I don't know, losing world, a world that doesn't, doesn't want God, doesn't depend on God, doesn't need God. Where do we follow 
uh, the flesh, the world, and the devil in our lives. We've got to think about these things, and we've got to capture these, these thoughts or these actions maybe if they become full-blown full blown actions. We think about these things, and we acknowledge them, and we repent of these things. What does it mean to repent? It means to go a different direction, to turn aside from them, to change your mind. How do we repent of these things? We read this verse and we believe it. We say, this is the sin in my life. This is how I, I declare but I and I reject but God. And I, and I read this verse in the first person. We insert I and me and, 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 uh, and myself in these things. And I think it would be helpful if we wrote these things down, if we think about these sins and we write the verse down in response to that. This is the confession. This is the sin that I'm thinking about. I'm declaring and I'm repenting over that sin by reading, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved me, even when I was dead in, our tres in my trespasses, even when I was at the bottom of the ocean, even when I was a lifeless corpse that could not be saved and could not save myself, he made me alive together with Christ. By grace, I have been saved. I think writing this stuff down can be great. It can just help seal it and help sear it into your soul. I wrote something down in 2005. I told you that I had that but God moment. It was not this verse. It was Psalm 51, but I read it. it. God revealed the truth of that to me, and I started writing it down. I said, I want a new heart. I want a new righteousness, and I still have the paper. I tried to remember to bring it. I'm so ticked. I don't have it right now. But I think this, I mean, there's, nothing, there's no trick. It's not fancy. There's nothing like... Uh, magic about this, but it can help sear this into our souls. So we take time. I forgot to mention this. We need to take time in the world of hurry, in the world of busyness. We need to find time, sit, engage in confession. We think about the sins in our lives, and then we repent of them, and then we contemplate how great is our God that would orchestrate this incredible resurrection in our life we contemplate God who is rich in mercy like verse 4 says he is abundant in mercy his, his mercy is limitless he's got the market cornered on mercy why would he be so merciful to us when we reject him why would he do that why is he not spiteful and angry and ticked at us why would he be merciful to us? Why does he continue to be merciful after in the Old Testament? I was talking to Holly, my wife, about this, and she's reading the Old Testament right now, and God is preserving this remnant of people, and it's just this constant cycle of, of he saves them, they reject him. He saves them again, they reject him. He saves them, they reject him, like over and over and over again. And now we do the same thing. We declare, but God, one day, and then a couple years later, I'm declaring, but I saved myself. Why would he be merciful to us? Why would he be loving to us? Why would he show us grace? Do you know what the reason is? Because he's not us. We are sinful. We would do that. I would do that. If you reject me over and over again, I'm going to get ticked. He's not us. He's better than us. We have a sinful nature. He has a merciful nature, a loving nature, and he loves to show grace to sinners. That is good news.
for us as sinners. Because of the love, the great love in which he loved us is the next part of that. He's rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us. How does he show his love for us? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you contemplate this great God that we worship, you must contemplate the great love that he has for you. He's not a God of talk. He's a God of action. He's a God of sacrifice. He's not, he's not, he's not um, uh, just going to sit there and tell you these things. He sent his son for us who humbled himself by being obedient to his father and dying on the cross for us. Even though Jesus was God, didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he loved us with a great love and that included dying for us. He has great love for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, even while we're rejecting him, even when we're, even when we're uh, inserting but I into our lives, he makes us alive. We don't come around to understanding and then he saves us. It's, he's not waiting for us to, to come to this conclusion. He saves us while we're rejecting him. And he doesn't just pull us out of the pit. He makes us alive together with Christ. He resurrects us. He scoops us up from the bottom of the ocean and makes us alive together with Christ. We are together with Christ. Christ is together with us. We are in union with Christ. We abide in Christ. He doesn't just pull us up out of the, out of the water. He sets us in the heavenly places like we're going to read about in the following verses. We don't just get, pulled, get resurrected so that we have to endure sin, our sinful nature. We, just don't, we don't need to have like courage or something to just like, get through it. He makes us conquerors of it. We look back on our sinful nature and say, that's not me anymore. I have a new self, like Colossians 3. Our, our, our sinful nature still plagues us, but it's not who we are anymore. We are a new self. We are a new being. We've been made alive. We've been resurrected. Our situation was horrible. We were fully dead. That's why we need to be resurrected. That's why there's new birth. That's how bad the situation was. We're completely new. And then when we believe that, when we write that, say it is by grace that I have been saved. This is not something else for us to do. This is not something else to add to your list. I just need to, just need to include this in my daily routine. This is something, you guys, that has been done for you. You need a but God moment. I have had but God moments in my life. I need more. I need, to, I need to see the sin for what it is in my life. I don't want to engage in more sin in order to make this happen. There's plenty already there. We need to have the sin revealed to us so that we can proclaim but God in our life. I've been using this excavator at my house this week. And I've been digging at this property behind my house, which hasn't been touched in 50 years, I, I think. And as I dig, I keep finding more and more trash. Just tires and wheelbarrows and 
beer cans and Nerf guns, like, like 50 Nerf guns. I don't know what is happening, why, why this was a spot where Nerf guns were, were thrown away. The more I dig, the more trash I find. If you need a but God story in life, you need to keep digging. We need to keep praying that God would reveal this to us in the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that he would reveal our sinful nature and that he would help us declare, but God, who is rich in mercy with, a, with this great love that he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, it is by grace that I have been saved. That's what we need. 